There are two kinds of people in the world, those who admit they're nervous about public speaking and liars. There are two kinds of people in the world, those who feed the tissue off the top of the roll and those who do it wrong. There are two kinds of people in the world, those who can keep secrets and, well, I really shouldn't say anymore. There are two kinds of people in the world, parents of teenagers and the rest of us who are not at fault for entirely messing up somebody's life. There are two kinds of people in the world, those who can extrapolate from incomplete data. And finally, in truth, there really are three kinds of people in the world, those who are good at math and those who aren't. This morning, let us be one of one kind, those who believe the Bible to be the only infallible rule for faith and for practice. So let's turn together to Romans 5, 12 through 21. If you're using the Red Pew Bible, it's page 1120. Romans 5, beginning at verse 12, and let's consider what Paul and the Spirit have to say about the two types of people in the world. Hear now the word of Almighty God. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet, Death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift of, by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Spirit of God, reveal to us the deep, significant, profound truth that is contained here in this passage. Help us to set aside our own view of the way things ought to be and accept how you have made things. 
and help us to recognize that in accepting things the way you've made them, we have great hope in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. On many fronts and in many ways, the reduction of all of humanity into just two categories, as I was doing a moment ago, is a gross oversimplification of life. But there are times and there are ways in which everything really does boil down to a simple uh, dichotomy, an either-or scenario. There are circumstances with regard to which one is either in group A or not in group A. When it comes to mankind's standing before God, Paul is teaching here in Romans 5 and elsewhere that there really does, uh, humanity really can be reduced to just two kinds of people those in Adam and those in in Christ. The 17th century Puritan Thomas Goodwin summed things up like this. In God's sight, there are just two men, Adam and Jesus Christ, and they have all others hanging from their belts. As we have been considering the New Testament's handling of themes found in Genesis, This morning's connection is a relatively easy one to see. The essential place Adam played in history and and, and how he anticipated and pointed ahead to the pivotal role of the Christ. Our main point this morning, and in fact our only point this morning, is this, and it's quite simple. When it comes to judgment, there really are just two kinds of people. Those judged in the judgment upon Adam and those judged in the judgment upon Christ. Everyone is counted as part of one of those two. There is only Adam and the last Adam. Either you stand with Adam's race of humans condemned already, as John 3.18 says, or you stand in the new race of humanity the new creation in Christ, judged righteous in him. There is only Adam and the last Adam. Let's take a look at how this passage develops this idea. First, Paul makes the case that all mankind are gathered under Adam. Paul points out that like it or not, every person upon the earth was represented by Adam, subsumed into him, counted as him treated as though him. In Adam, all of us. In Adam, everyone. So how does Paul make that case? Well, first, let's not lose sight of the name of the first human being. Though it is lost on us in translation, it would not have been lost on a Hebrew like Paul and many of those who would have been the recipients of this letter. The first human was named human. The first man was named man. Adam is the Hebrew word for human, for man. Not necessarily male in the sense of that, you know, a type of man, 
but rather in the sense of humanity. Remember, whether we are offended by it or not, God named all of us, male and female, man. And then he turned right around and gave that exact same name to the very first one of us. God named the first human, human. In other words, in the very process of naming, humanity and its first member were conflated. Adam was, by virtue of his singular existence, but more importantly, by the design of God, Adam was the entirety of the human race, and thus its sole representative. Adam had, as it were, total, absolute power of attorney, uh, of attorney, power of attorney over all of humanity. Adam was literally named by God the human being, and he stood in place of each one of now, Paul's argument is more than just the name of this man. He argues that there are two races of humans, those in Adam and those in Christ. Paul's argument is essentially this. He says, death reigns upon the earth. Since death is the consequence of sin, and since the death rate is 100%, one out of every one persons dies that it necessarily follows that everyone has been judged a sinner. Now, Paul anticipates the argument many of you are thinking right this very moment. That everyone dies doesn't prove that everyone is subsumed under Adam. After all, it could be that everyone sins on his or her own. It is possible that every person brings death upon themselves by sinning for themselves. Now, verse 12, if you look back up there, would appear at first to support that argument. Death spread to all men because all sinned. See, it's got nothing to do with Adam, Pastor. Each man dies because of his own sins, but that view has problems. First, consider just the testimony of the world around us. If sin were simply only a matter of people eventually making their own wrong choices, wouldn't you think that given the billions and billions of humans that have ever lived, and I saw one estimate that puts the total number of people over 100 billion in history, among all those 100 billion people, if sin were just a matter of a wrong choice, wouldn't we expect that by now, someone would have made only right choices? I mean, if it's a 50-50 chance, if you just flip a coin a hundred billion times, you're going to get some stretches in there of consistent heads in a row. And yet we never have seen that. No one has evaded death. The track record of humanity suggests that we are not reading verse 12 correctly if we think it's talking about each person sinning for themselves. But the grammar of verse 12 does not support this interpretation either. Notice the verb tense. Paul does not say death spread to all men because all sin, present tense, but because all sinned, past tense. The sin of all is a done deal in the past. 
Now, that's bizarre when you anticipate the fact that there are many who Paul knew would read this who hadn't even been born. Finally, the context of verse 12 does not support interpreting it as individuals sinning individually. Death does not reign because everyone sins for themselves. Death reigns because Adam sinned for everyone. Paul makes that point by showing how death reigned even among those who did not sin as Adam did. Look at verse 14. Death reigned even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. So what does Paul mean by that? Well, he means at least this one thing. There are those who die like Adam for having broken a commandment, but there are those who die for another reason. They're not like Adam. Having not broken a commandment. For example, there are those who exist outside of the revelation of God's law. And so they are unaware of specific requirements. Paul's argument back in chapter 1 about all men being without excuse, chapter 1 of Romans, notwithstanding, he is pointing out here that many die who have never realized they sinned because there was no law. And sin is not counted where there is no law. They are guilty of crimes they didn't even know they were committing. Think about it. Some sins we instinctively hide, knowing in our conscience they are wrong. Murder, for example. But who instinctively hides covetousness? For that matter, what pagan worshiping the wrong god considers hiding that fact? Many people in this world to whom the law of God has never been revealed are guilty of sins they do not know to be sin. Now pause and ponder that for a moment. If that is true, if God is actually judging people for doing what they do not know to be wrong, how is that not unjust? Let me give you an example. So Josh, our oldest child, was still very young at the time, maybe about four. And he was refusing to eat the plain, simple, buttered rice that his mother had served for dinner. Now, there, were, there are and there were strongly flavored foods that I allowed our children to not like and to not eat. But when it came to bland staples like rice, those were required eating. Just part of learning to be thankful for what you have. That evening, I had enough of Josh's whining, and I issued a direct order. Every grain of rice is to be gone from that plate before the big hand on the clock reaches the six. Do you understand me? Every grain. I returned at the appointed time to find the rice, to find some rice still on Josh's plate and him down from the table playing. I let him have it. I punished him. I spanked him. Now, my children, unfortunately, took after their father way too much, which means they've had a lot of spankings in their lives. There have been a lot of timeouts, a lot of groundings. So why does that one stick out in my head among all of them? Because no sooner did I get done spanking him 
Then I find out that my wife, his mother, had dismissed him from the table. Oops. He had permission to do what he had done. He didn't know that what he was doing was wrong. We were new parents. We were still young. It happens. We weren't on the same page. It happens. But Josh got spanked for doing what he did not know was wrong. And it sticks with me. Because it's unjust. It's not right. He was punished thinking he was okay. If God is punishing people for their own individual sins, but they live in a place where the law has not been revealed, they don't even know they're sinning, that's not just. Something else is going on here. God is not merely punishing people for their own individual sins. And that's Paul's point. Death reigned over those who did not transgress the law as Adam did. If death is a consequence of one's own sin, that's phenomenally unjust. But God is not unjust. Now again, one of you might point out Paul's argument in chapter 1 of Romans that because of the light of nature, all men are without excuse. They do not have a need of the law per se to be guilty before God. And I don't think Paul has forgotten his own earlier writing But let me apply Paul's argument from chapter 5 a little differently. How can death be due to one's own sin and yet babies die? We might be able to assign the death, uh, to, to, to assign the reign of death to individual sins if only those old enough to actually sin ever died. If the infant mortality rate was zero, if there were never any miscarriages, then perhaps the case could be made for that view of Romans 5. But Paul points out that death reigns over those who have not transgressed as Adam did. So if infants die, if the unborn miscarry, and if death is due to our personal sin, then we're back to the conclusion that God is unjust. But again, God is just. And so we are, like Paul, forced to conclude that there is a different relationship between humanity, sin, and death. And Paul tells us what it is. Death entered humanity by the sin of one man, the elder Adam. By virtue of his place at the head of all humanity, all humanity sinned in him and fell with him. Adam was, quite literally, all humanity. In name, in number, he was it. He was the totality of the human race. So when he fell into sin, literally all humanity fell into sin and came under the curse of sin. Not because of their personal sins, though they would each commit plenty of those, but because of Adam's sin on their behalf. In the sin of Adam, all sinned. And in the death that came upon Adam, all died. Thus, some have put it this way. We are not sinners because we sin, We sin because we are sinners. 
How did David say it in the Psalms? In sin did my mother conceive me. In other words, from my very beginning, I was a sinner even before I could do any sin. I played the bassoon in the high school band. The bassoon does not lend itself to marching. And so when the band marched, football games, city parades, I joined the drum line and I played the bass drum. Now, I played that because I I was a drummer because I joined the drum line and played the bass drum. But the vast majority of those in the drum line were the type where if a tune came on the radio, they pulled out the imaginary drumsticks and began to air drum. If there was a rhythm anywhere to be had, they were tapping along with it. They were They drummed in the drum line because they were drummers. It just was who they were. That rhythm flowed out of their very being. So it is with our relationship to sin. We don't become sinners by virtue of sinning. Sinning is the essence of who we are because of Adam. And therefore, we go on to sin. Sin reigns over us like rhythm reigned in the drum line. Sin is as certain and sure as was tapping for those drummers. And because sin has reigned over us, death has reigned over us. Infants die. The, The unborn miscarry. Because they are human beings in the line of Adam. And as humans in the line of Adam, they are guilty of sin, even apart from any sin they may have never committed. Now at this point, many recoil. This teaching is a stumbling block for many. But the the idea of consequence due to representation is simply a part of human reality. Whether you have ever studied the Bible or not, you know that consequences flow out of personal solidarity. It's a fact. Who you are connected to affects you. Who among us has never been affected by the choices of those with whom we are associated? When mothers and fathers make decisions, children face the consequences though they did not pick their parents. Every day, Becky works with children whose futures, apart from divine intervention, are doomed because of the choices their parents are making right now. When politicians pander rather than making the difficult choices that would really help their constituents, those constituents suffer because of their representatives' choices, even if they voted for the other candidate. Soldiers die because of the choices of generals and statesmen. The list goes on and on and on. Everyone suffers consequences, both good and bad. I recognize that I have been blessed because of the choices my parents made. I had opportunities because of the family I was born into, not by virtue of anything I did. I didn't choose to be born in middle-class America. 
by virtue of my association with my parents, I have received phenomenal blessings. Everyone experiences consequences because of those with whom they are affiliated. This is a fact of life. It is a fact of life because God created a world in which one's associations and affiliations matter. Remember, from the get-go, it was not good that the man should be alone. We were created to be an association. So again, we find ourselves facing this choice. The death of those who broke no command of God, those who did not transgress as Adam did, is either God's condemnation and curse upon them due to the representative's choice, or it is God's condemnation and curse for no reason at all. And as difficult as it is to accept the former, the latter is infinitely worse. God, in his inscrutable wisdom, created a world wherein Adam stood for all mankind and was given the right and obligation to act on behalf of all mankind. He acted sinfully, breaking the only explicit command there was. In fact, it would be hard to imagine another sin by which Adam might even have been tempted thought about that? There was no one from whom he might steal, no one after whom he might lust, literally no reason on earth he might want to do harm to Eve, and no reason of any kind to lie. And since all the earth was under his dominion, he couldn't possibly have coveted. He faced one and really only one temptation. So this is a good time to deal with our anger and frustration at God's representative federal system. Why, God, should I be born a sinner, born under guilt, born under a curse, born at enmity with you because of what another did? That's not right. I should have the right to choose for myself. If I'm going to hell, then it ought to be for the choices I make and not for those of Adam. But what makes you think you'd have done a better job than Adam? Do you think yourself a better judge of character than God? He could have created a system where you would be responsible for your own self, and he thought it best that you be represented by another. If you rebel at the system, you are already sinning and proving that God was right and you need a different representative. Moreover, Adam faced only one temptation. Can you even resist one temptation? Adam lived in a world free from evil. You are surrounded by it. Adam lived in a world free of most temptations. You are drowning in temptation. Adam lived in a world in perfect fellowship with God. How's your prayer life going? Adam had every advantage we lack, yet he sinned anyway. So what possible reason do you have for thinking you'd have done better with your own future? But still, some of us are thinking, it's my future, it's my life, it should be in my hands. 
Now Paul explains why that's a disastrous scenario. Paul explains how, out of Adam's failed federal headship, there arises a ray, the only ray of hope. Look at verse 14. For Adam was a type of the one to come. Adam created a category. He laid out for us a kind, a genus, a class. The one who was to come, that is Christ, is the antitype. He fulfills, perfects, completes the category established by the type. The type is the clay model. The antitype is the completed sports car. The type is the foam scale replica. The antitype is the completed skyscraper. Adam, the type, created the class of human representative. Jesus Christ, the antitype, fulfilled and perfected that category of human representative. A few years before penning this epistle to the Romans, when he was writing to the church in Corinth, Paul actually calls Christ the last Adam and the second man, as if there were no other people on the earth. In other words, Christ is the ultimate and perfected member of the class of human beings who would represent other human beings. The type created by Adam reaches its zenith in Christ. The man that Adam was supposed to be, Jesus was. The man that was needed at the head of humanity is found not in Adam, but in Christ. You see, Paul says, the very representative federal system at which you are now recoiling and raging is exactly the system that's going to save you. How? Look at verse 15. Because the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by that grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. You bristle at the idea that condemnation and judgment fall upon you for Adam's sin, but the grace that is greater than that sin is also by representation. The gift of God through Jesus, your new representative, remember Paul's writing to believers, the gift of God, through Jesus, your new representative, vastly exceeds any curse or judgment which came through Adam. Verse 16, and the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. The free gift which brings justification follows many trespasses. That is to say, you've sinned much more than did Adam. You've earned every bit of the condemnation and curse against which you rail. But if you reject the concept of federal representation, if you argue that you should be the captain of your own soul, then you forget the grace of Jesus Christ. And you forfeit it. The typology of Adam was as a representative human. Jesus is the antitype. Jesus is the perfect representative human. Jesus is the ultimate, unsurpassed, and unsurpassable human. The human par excellence. Humanity lived out on earth as God intended it to be. 
constantly in prayer, constantly in obedience, constantly acting upon the likeness of God in him, Jesus lived the only truly human life that has yet been lived. One day, one day you and I will enjoy our humanity as it was supposed to be. But so far, Jesus is the only one to have actually done so. Which is why Paul goes on to celebrate in verse 17. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. No longer does death reign over us. And the way Paul words this is not even that life reigns over us. Rather, those who are, receive the gift of grace, they reign in life. Death is no longer reigning over you. You are now reigning in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ. If you reject judgment through representation, if you recoil at the idea that you're suffering because of what Adam did, then you are rejecting the very type, the very category, the genus of human representation, and so you reject the antitype, Christ. If you opt out of a system wherein the guilt of a representative cannot be imputed to you, then you have opted for a system wherein righteousness cannot be imputed to you either. Now one has to earn their own righteousness. And the law came, Paul says, to show us exactly how impossible that would be. The grace of the law was that it is a huge red sign on the road of good works, screaming and flashing lights, do not enter, no way out. What Paul has argued earlier in his letter to the Galatians, what did he say there? The one who does the law must live by the law. The law did not introduce any new principle into human life. It simply enumerated and showed out and and exposed our sin for sin. If you choose the way of self-representation, then you're stuck under that law, having to live by it completely, perfectly, every nuance of it, all the time, every day, for all of your life. And the flashing red lights of the law are, do not enter. You can't possibly pull this off. Don't go this way. The gospel, on the other hand, did introduce a new principle, that of grace. So just as the law began to increase sin, that is to increase the accounting of sin, so too we recognize how grace grows in our eyes so that we might be set free from it. Adam did not keep one command. Jesus kept hundreds. Adam did not resist even a single temptation. Jesus spent a lifetime resisting every temptation known to man. Whereas Adam had access to life via the tree, but sinned and forfeited it, forfeited it. Christ had earned the right to life. 
but forfeited it anyway. Not by sin, but in loving, obedient righteousness. Adam sinned for all humanity, and so death reigns over all humans. But Christ obeyed even to death on a cross so that a new humanity might reign in life. Every person is either dead in Adam or alive in the last Adam. There really are only two kinds of people in this world. Those represented by Adam and those and be, and under the curse of sin and under the reign of death, or those represented by Christ and so coming into the reward of life. Before God's judgment throne, there is only Adam and the last Adam. Holy Spirit, work faith in our hearts that we might rest in the representation of Jesus Christ, the last Adam, in whose name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and together turn either to page 10 of the bulletin or page 19 of the hymnal. We're going to sing to God be the glory.